Welcome to the Serving Leaders Podcast, where we talk about health and ministry leadership. On this episode, we have dug into the Serving Leaders archives for this interview between Dave Wiedes and John Lennox. This was first recorded in 2013 on TBN's program, Praise the Lord. Welcome to Praise the Lord. I'm your host, Dave Wiedes, and I'm delighted to have as our guest today, Dr. John Lennox of Oxford University in England. And Dr. Lennox is a scholar. He has traveled the world teaching and debating uh, atheists on, on the Christian worldview on, on many, many different topics. And I want to welcome you. Thank you very much. It's great to have you here. And uh, could you give us just a little bit of your, your educational background and your, your faith background? Well, I'm a professor of mathematics at Oxford, so that's been my main intellectual activity. But as a scientist and a Christian, I've always been interested in the bigger questions of where science fits into the bigger picture. And does it, as the atheists suggest, point towards atheism or does it point towards God? Mm -hmm. And my parents were Christian in Northern Ireland. And fortunately for me, they believed in allowing me to think. And so I grew up with a lot of intellectual curiosity and under the influence of C.S. Lewis and other people. Mm -hmm. I suppose I developed into what I am today, and that is very concerned for the intellectual defense of the Christian faith on the public stage. Mm. And, and so you go on that public stage. You've debated people like... Uh, uh, Christopher Hitchens and Peter Singer, as well as uh, Richard Dawkins. Dawkins? Dawkins. Dawkins, thank you. Um, what, what's it been like to debate those people? Formidable. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. Uh, it's been a very interesting thing to do that. But you know, if, if nobody uh, debates them, they appear to hold the field by default. And I. I was invited to do it, and for some reason, Richard Dawkins agreed to debate me mm -hmm. in Birmingham, Alabama, of all places, wow. which is very interesting. And that started the trajectory that mm -hmm. I've been on for quite some time now. And when you do these debates, how many people are showing up now in the last few years? Oh, a large number. I've just been on a tour with Veritas in the United States and Ivy League universities, and there have been probably well over a, between 1,000 and 2,000 every time. It's been packed houses. Mm. There is enormous interest, and that encourages me, yeah. in uh, young people in North America, in Europe, and I've just recently been in South Africa and experienced exactly the same thing. Right. There's a hunger. People want to know whether there is truth out there, and mm -hmm. particularly they're interested in a scientist's take on it because the opposition, the atheism, is coming from many scientifically trained people. One of the things that I want to ask you to sort of walk us through, you know, I think of Psalm 8 where the psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And that I would imagine has special meaning to you as a scientist because you are able to really study both cosmology, DNA, various parts of God's creation, and you understand it more than the average person. What well, I don't know about that, but uh, I take your point. Uh, I do not think that nature is neutral. I believe it is a creation, mm -hmm. and therefore it bears the imprint of the God who created and sustains it. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we're led to expect that from the teaching of St. Paul, who, who says from the beginning of creation, 
that it's absolutely evident that there is a God in the things that are made. And I think, interestingly enough, as science goes on, the wonder of that evidence mm -hmm. increases. Mm -hmm. In the early days, the mathematical describability of the universe with Newton's laws and so on, that was marvelous. And then you get to Einstein's equations and the sheer wonder for me as a mathematician that you can compress observations of the universe out there into very short formulae and equations. Right. That, to my mind, points to the rational intelligence of God. But I think... Well, well, before you go on, let me ask you, because I really want... You're talking to a guy with very low-level math here, okay? But you're saying that you see something in mathematics. You see the glory of God there. You see the rationality of God. In, in that, in equations. In the beauty and yeah. elegance of mathematics can, and in the fact that it describes the universe out there. Can you, can you give us an example of that? Well, uh, Newton's law of gravitation. And uh, it compresses the observations of Kepler of the orbits of the planets into eight or nine symbols. I mean, that is just incredible from which you can deduce all of those things. Uh -huh. Now, the very fact that that can be done is evidence to me that this is a rational universe. Mm -hmm. And the best explanation of that is that there is an intelligent God that created it. And you know, when Newton discovered his law of gravitation, he didn't say, ah, I've got a, an equation that explains it. I don't need God. No, he did not. He did the exact opposite. He mm. wrote the most brilliant <coughs> book in the history of science, the Principia Mathematica, <coughs> saying what a wonderfully brilliant God who did it that way. Mm. So the more we understand of the universe, mm -hmm. the more we can admire the genius of the God who did it that way. In other words, what I'm saying here is I don't believe in a God of the gaps. I can't explain it, therefore God did it. That kind of thing is very dangerous uh -huh, uh, territory. Uh -huh. It's more as you as you understand more and more and more, it points you to the creator. Yes, the more you understand of engineering, the more you can admire Rolls-Royce engine. Right, right. Can you uh, can you give us some examples of this? The heavens declare the glory of God from the standpoint of, for example, the stars or the universe. Well. <clears throat> I love astronomy. I've got a telescope and I just, it's the sheer beauty and the glory of the thing. Mm -hmm. And I think there is an aesthetic side, you know. Mm. There is, uh, all mathematicians sense an elegance. I mean, and to my mind, that beauty points to a God of, of, of great beauty and power. But <clears throat> if I wanted to walk you through what seems to me to be a stunning example in creation. It's the fact that we have lived to see, to discover that in each of the 10 trillion cells of our body, there is a database, human DNA, the genome. And that, to my mind, is fascinating because it's a word in a chemical alphabet of four letters. It's three and a half billion letters long. In the DNA strand. In the DNA strand. Now, as I sit and look that, at that, I do a little experiment sometimes with people. Yeah. And <clears throat> they say to me, you know, uh, I'm an atheist, I'm an agnostic. I remember one man in particular in Oxford who's a biochemist, and we were sitting at dinner together. And he said, when he heard I was a mathematician who believed in God, he was really disappointed. And he said, I'm a reductionist, I'm an atheist. I, 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 I said, what do you mean? You could believe that everything can be explained in terms of physics and chemistry. He said, yes. So I said, let's do an experiment. So I picked up the menu on the table mm. and it said roast chicken. So 
He said, what's the problem with that? Well, I said, you believe everything can be explained in terms of physics and chemistry? He said, yes. Well, I said, look at these letters, R-O-A-S-T. I said, they carry meaning. Now, you explain to me the meaning of that, how it carries meaning in terms of the physics and chemistry of the paper and ink. Hmm. And he paused, and I'll never forget it. It's happened several times. He said, um, and his wife, who was beside him, said, get out of that if you can. <laughs> but he didn't try. He said, it can't be done. He said, for 40 years, I've gone into my laboratory thinking you could do it. But he said, it's obvious it can't be done. You cannot explain that meaning-carrying capacity, mm. semiotics we call it, of those letters in terms of the physics and chemistry of the paper and ink. In other words, putting it around another way, yeah. if you see the letters of your name written on the seashore, you immediately infer upwards to intelligence. Sure. Now, here comes the question. Change the scenery. You've got 3.5 billion letters of the DNA strand in exactly the right order. It's the longest word that's ever been discovered. And I say to people, what's the origin of that? And they say, chance and the laws of nature. I said, pardon? Right. You, say, you see the 10 letters of your name and you immediately infer whatever natural processes are involved, you know intelligence is involved. Right. And you see, we are in the information age, David. And we've discovered that biology at its heart is an information-carrying macromolecule. It codes for the proteins. Mm -hmm. And so we're in this fascinating situation where information has become a central topic of the day. Now, information is not generated by natural processes. That's a long argument, and I discuss it in my book, God's Undertaker. But the main point here is this, that the Bible, which many people have written off, has put its finger in exactly this. In the beginning was the Word. Mm. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things came to be through Him. So the Bible, the New Testament, John's Gospel, ascribes the origin to word. Now, in Genesis, you have this fascinating thing, and God said, and God said, a number of times, not many times. Mm -hmm. God speaks, something happens. Mm -hmm. The origin of life, for instance. Now, I'm fascinated by that, because many people have written the Bible off as primitive, and yet, <clears throat> in the little it does say about creation, it puts its finger hmm. on the idea of an informational input coming from outside the system. Hmm. Hmm. And we've seen that information is at the heart of biology. So there, to my mind, is one of the most powerful evidences, is that the word is primary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, atheism takes the exact opposite view, mass energy or primary. But I don't see any evidence yeah. that mass energy on their own, unguided natural processes, can create information of the kind that's like language. And we know that intuitively. The moment we see a word, we infer an intelligence behind it. Right. So uh, God has left his imprint in a very big way, it seems to me. And, and the more we're able to discover, the more we see it. To believe that life must have come in from outer space, because there's no way that random processes produce it. Paul Davis, who's not a theist, nor was Hoyle, uh, wrote in one of his books, look, this isn't a question of 
coming out of the laws of physics and chemistry as we understand them because that does not produce information. Right, right. And I see the more we discover that information plays a central role, the more difficult it is for the naturalist to give any kind of reasonable inference to a best explanation. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, I know that the moment you say this kind of thing, Dawkins and co. come back with it, and they say, but this is absurd. If you introduce God as an intelligence, he's not an explanation of anything, because he's more complicated than the thing you're explaining. Well, when Dawkins put that to me in a public debate, I simply said, really? I pick up a book called The God Delusion. It's 450 pages Which he or so. Wrote. Yeah, it's pretty complicated. So I ask for its origin. And I discover its origin is in the infinitely more complicated mind of Richard Dawkins. So I dismiss that explanation <laughs> because my explanation is more complicated than the thing you're explaining. Right. You see, it doesn't follow, does it? No, it doesn't. We've been <clears throat> brainwashed in thinking that all explanation must go from the simple to the complex. But the moment you get something linguistic, something language-like, like DNA code, like the letters of your name on the beach, your explanation is always more complex than mm -hmm. the thing you're explaining. It's mm -hmm. in terms of a person. But that doesn't stop your investigation. Like in archaeology, we discover a thing. Is this an artifact or is it a windswept stone? It's an artifact. There is evidence of intelligent input here. That sure. doesn't stop science. No, the next thing we ask is what sort of a civilization does it represent? Right. So it seems to me that we need to be very careful to realize that in certain specific areas, mm. explanation does proceed from the complex to the simple. Mm. Mm. Well, I really appreciate you coming by and talking about these things. And I wish we had hour after hour to talk more. Where can people get more information about you and about your resources? Well, johnlennox.org is my website, and I hope they'll find that accessible. But I'm all over YouTube. Google my name, and you'll find out too much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what you'll find out is how there's an intelligent way, and a reasonable way, and a kind way to defend the faith, and that one need not be ashamed of believing. And, uh, and, and looking to the creator for the explanation of all of life and the rationality of this universe. So we thank you for joining. This is Praise the Lord, and it's been a pleasure to have you with us. I'm your host, Dave Wiedis, and until next time, keep your faith in the one who created us all. Thanks so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us for our next episode at Serving Leaders Ministries Podcast. If you like this podcast, please take a moment to subscribe and rate it five stars. For additional resources or to find out more about our counseling services, you can go to www.servingleaders.org.